0: Hello, this is Pastor Ariel, and welcome to Devotional. It is my prayer before every episode that this podcast will be a blessing for you. Please remember to subscribe to Devotional on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening in. This way, you will be notified every time a new episode is published. And don't forget to scroll down on the show's description and click on the links for all the free resources to get the best experience out of this podcast. Also, please remember to share with your friends and loved ones so day two can be blessed with this resource. Lastly, please consider becoming a supporter of this podcast. It would be much appreciated. And now, here's today's episode. Welcome to Devotional. We are on lesson number three, and this is day two for Sunday, January 13th. There's something about that sound of the waves. It's so soothing, so relaxing. I'm sure it wasn't for the Apostle John. Maybe it was. Maybe on Sabbath, he would just sat on the the, the edge of a rocky beach and just listen to the waves. Um reminding him of the sound that, that's how he describes the voice of God, as a sound of many waters the promises that God has spoke, had spoken to him in the past um, anyways, for me, it's, it's very relaxing my wife and I, we were just with my in-laws in Puerto Rico, and those are the things that, that my wife and I would just stand there in silence uh, listening to this rhythmic sound of the waves so I'm sorry that I sometimes linger a little longer with that introductory music the sound of the waves, I, I, love, I love hearing that Anyways, we want to be diving right into this uh, study as we started yesterday. Uh, going to look beyond what the lesson covers, there's going to be definitely supplemental material. I hope you do spend time listen, uh, studying the lesson because there's stuff that I'm just not touching and, and this week in this podcast. But there's some things that inspired me to go this route that are in, are in the lessons that you need to study, you should spend time studying. And if you're not quite sure what I'm talking about the lesson, just scroll down on the, on the description of this, this episode you see a whole bunch of links to the ios app that is free android app that is free there's a link to a web um, browser uh, link that you can actually look at the lesson right now if you wanted to you can download it print it if you want a hard copy there's a link that you can order it and have your own copy delivered to your house Um, i'm trying to just make it as easy as possible for you to access this. Beautiful resource that can provide not just three months of study. Trust me, you you can study this lesson for an entire year and you'll barely scratch the surface. The fact that we are on lesson number three and I'm thinking, man, there's only nine left. This is is going by too fast. So anyways, um, I'm excited that we are um, going to be engaging the church, um, the, the seven churches. And today we're going to be looking at Smyrna. Now, Smyrna, eh, the way Jesus describes himself to Smyrna is the one that was dead, but is now alive, which is a clear allusion or uh, pointing toward the resurrection. This is Jesus, the one that has resurrected from the dead. This church is undergoing a lot of persecution and many of the christians there are in fact losing their lives um the, there is a uh, severe pressure to give in to emperor worship in this uh city and the, the christians are just disconcerted what are we to do and uh, the holy spirit jesus uh through john wants to remind this church i have died too but i am not dead and even if you die you will live again because i live now this idea, of course, made me think about Lazarus, you know, when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. But I'm going through my own personal devotions to the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew. And there is another passage that, as I pondered upon, why would Jesus introduce himself as the one that was um, dead, but now is alive? There's a, even after we're converted, there's just this inherent fear of death. We're not made for it. We don't like it. And when martyrs would give their lives for Jesus, it wasn't a pleasant experience it's not something that they would um you know say yay um it's it's uh, unpleasant no one wants to die And it's normal because God made us to want to be alive. That's why the hope of the resurrection becomes that much more powerful because it begins to confront this fear that we have of death. And in in Matthew chapter 10, uh, starting in verse 26, I'm going to read several verses that are connected to this idea of uh, do not fear. uh, Don't be afraid. Uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 26 begins with, therefore, do not fear them. For there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in light. In the light, and what you hear whispered in, in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a scent? And yet, not one of them will fall to the ground, apart from your father or our father knowing. But every, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear; you are of more value than many sparrows. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my father who is in heaven. I used to think these were like separate statements, but as I meditated upon that flow of thought, this is all one one big statement that Jesus is making. There are three do not fears that conclude with a dare, therefore. Do not fear what is hidden. Do not do not fear people not knowing the full story. That certainly applies for Christians that are accused wrongfully. During this time in history, neighbors that wanted to, you know, buy your house and they knew you were a Christian, they would offer you, you know, pittance compared to what your house was of value. And if you refused, they would threaten you. Well, I'm going to call the authorities and report and slander you. You know, you're of that sect that eats flesh and drinks blood. And for the Roman Empire, that was disgusting, you know, and and many other lies that they would uh, heap upon Christians. And the community would begin to believe that this was what Christianity was about. They didn't understand what the sect was. They thought they were Jewish, but they're not Jewish. They, they believe in this Jesus that's their Messiah, but he's been dead. But actually, he's alive. It sounded so weird and confusing and convoluted. So it was easy to target Christians with lies. And Jesus, in this passage, is telling us, don't fear. Whatever is secret, whatever is being camouflaged by lies will come to the light. So do not be afraid and do not give in to that pressure of both trying to go along with the flow because the, the pressure wants you to give in, but also don't don't give in to despair. I am not deceived. I can see through the lies. I know who you really are. One of my professors, at uh, when I was an undergrad at Andrews, Professor Lyle Caesar, he would tell us, because Jesus knows, you can sleep good at night. You know, that's good advice for people that... Uh, in in a church that you might be, there may be strife between you and another brother or sister there. And there may be things being said or had been said about you that are not true. And people may actually believe those lies about you and change the way they relate to you. And we're all humans. We respond to that with anxiety. We want to vindicate ourselves. We want to correct what has been wrong. But when uh, Professor Leo Caesar said that, it was in that context. And he said, because Jesus knows, just sleep good at night doesn't matter what humans think or, or think they know about you. What really matters in the end is what Jesus knows about you. And so um, Jesus says, "Don't do not fear. That's the first do not fear. The second do not fear is do not fear those who can kill the body only. Do not fear those that can only take this life. Because, I mean, if you stop to think about it, you don't need someone to take your life for you to end up dead anyways. You just need to be around for a while. You know, be around for another 80, 90, 100 years and you will die too. We don't need a bullet to die. Sin has done that to us already. But what we experience right now is called the first death. We will not be harmed by the second death, which is the promise that Jesus makes to this church um, in Revelation chapter 2. To this church, it says, to him who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. So it goes along with this thought of Jesus in Matthew chapter 10. Do not be afraid of those that can only kill the body, but the one that can kill both body and soul in hell. And what hell is, We, we, we Jesus doesn't tell us here. He just simply uses that word, Gehenna. But we know what it, that imagery points to in the book of Revelation, to Revelation chapter 20. That is that fire that tells us that that is that second death experience. And Jesus says, you know, you, you that slander may end up put may put you in jail. And that slander may actually even cost you your life. But don't be afraid. Don't be afraid that a, a court system has been fooled by these lies. I am the ultimate judge of the human race and if i know you can die in peace you can sleep in peace you can die in peace because i am jesus and i know the truth of who you are i know that i love you and i know that you love me now the third do not fear deals with value you know when you are slandered when you are being persecuted you, you begin to wonder, you know, what is my worth in this place? They, they, they can take my house. I can't appeal. I, I don't have any rights. Um, for us here in America, that's a bit of a foreign idea, you know, that, that I, I lose my rights. Uh, we have rights, right? Even if you're a criminal, you still have rights to fair trials to a lawyer, etc. We, we have an awesome judicial system. It's not perfect by any means, but it's way better than some of the other ones that are in other parts of the world. But to have no rights, it just begin, you begin to feel like in this society that you live in, you are just not worth anything at all. And those lies, that mindset, Jesus says, do not allow that in you. Do not fear you are of more value than many sparrows. And he's not saying, you know... Yeah, here are birds, and you are just a little bit above birds. That is not the point of Jesus. In verse 29, he says, Are not two sparrows uh, sold for a cent, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground without your father's knowledge. He's doing a a comparison of contrast. You guys would pay pennies for these little sparrows. They're not very valuable to you, but they are to the Father in heaven. Here are insignificant little creatures that you don't, spend, don't, don't pay too much mind to. But even if one of those little insignificant creatures to you falls to the ground, they are not insignificant to the Father in heaven. And if these little birds are not insignificant, that one of them would fall and the Father would not notice, how much more you, right? So do not allow sometimes the circumstances, the way people treat you, the way people speak of you, the way people relate to you, to determine how you see yourself as far as your worth. You know, that question uh, that Jesus poses, right? Uh, so do not fear. You are more valuable than, any, than many sparrows. Are not two sparrows sold for, two, for a cent? So, there's a question that that came to my mind, right? Do not fear because you are valuable, more valuable than... Is Jesus' reference point birds? Stop to think for a second. How much was he willing to pay for you? So, what does that speak about your worth? Do not fear because you are more valuable than me. To me... You are more valuable than my life. To me, you are more valuable than all the glories and the majesties and the worship and the adoration of all the angelic beings of all the universe. You are worth more to me than me. That is powerful love. It goes beyond us. That's what Paul says the breath, you know, if you. Look at the height, the depth, the width, the breadth. It just goes beyond. It's a love that goes beyond our understanding. We will never be able to fully imagine and fully grasp how much God loved us because of how much he was willing to sacrifice to pay for our salvation. He He gave his own life his own existence. He gave up all of these prerogatives. He risked everything so that you could be saved, so that you could recognize deep down inside how much you're worth because this is the value God has placed upon you. This is rich. This church that is, you know, being downtrodden and stepped on by society through the Spirit of God, through this imagery of Jesus, he is wanting to encourage them and reassure them, to me, you are the most valuable and precious thing. And those words don't apply just to the church of Smyrna. They certainly apply to you today. You know, Jesus speaks, you know, in, in encouraging words here when he says, do not fear, do not fear. Um, therefore, you, you're, you're um, the outcome of. You resisting these fears would be therefore everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father. These individuals in Smyrna, because of their confession in faith in Jesus, because of their refusal to deny their their confession of belief and and clinging to Jesus, many of them were suffering martyrdom, and Jesus is saying, when these fears are no longer part of your experience, you will confess. You will not be a foreign thing for you. You will not think twice about consequences because fear is no longer driving you. Fear is no longer causing you to react. The, the fear of, what will people think about me? I have to vindicate myself. No, that that you will sleep good at night because Jesus knows. Oh, but they, they, they're going to take my job. How am I going to live? How am I going to make a living? No, if you if, even if you had to die... You will die in peace because Jesus knows. And Jesus knows how much you're worth because he, he's the one that paid the price with his, his own life. Therefore, do not let fear hinder you from confessing Jesus before men. Do not deny Jesus in our lives. This is tremendous. And this is just like I said, you know, we're just spending a few moments. I'm, I'm sharing this with you so that hope, I'm a praying and hoping you will be inspired and and a a fire of a desire to study more inquire more will be ignited in your heart i haven't done you know greek and hebrew i just did english (laughs) so this is something anyone can do and discover these beautiful um, imageries that are presenting of god through jesus christ the last verse, before we take a short break and go into the Church of Pergamum, is what we, we learned from 1 John 4.8. 1 John 4.8 is a very simple verse that says, uh, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. And there is no perfect love, no more perfect love than the love of God has for you. And there is no more perfect revelation of that love than the price God paid for you at the cross. So whenever you and I, and you know we, this idea of not living in fear, it's something that we, are, we learn. Fear sneaks up on us, and sometimes we don't even recognize that we are making decisions, we are reacting to circumstances based on these three fears that we just talked about. Whenever that happens, it, Jesus to the church of Smyrna, he's inviting them, go back to the cross, go back to the cross because there you will witness my perfect love for you and when you again and again and again see my perfect love for you see how valuable and precious you are to me that perfect love will cast out that fear from your heart hope you didn't stop the podcast <laughs> I should have told you don't uh, the podcast doesn't end we're just taking a little break um, so that we can now go into paranormal. And uh, Pergamum is, is, is not a faithful church. They're starting to allow uh, creeping compromises. That's the title of a book that I read a long time ago. They're starting to allow these things into their church and, and Jesus is becoming concerned. He walks among lampstands and he sees that the wicks of some of these churches is burning out, starting to smoke a lot. And so he doesn't want that to happen. He doesn't want the light to go out. So he speaks words that, you know, are, are you could say, you know, they're pretty graphic. They seem threatening, actually, because he, he describes himself as the one that has a sharp two-edged sword. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, the one who has the sharp two-edged sword says this. And, of course, that imagery was already mentioned in Revelation chapter 1. It's not difficult to understand that symbol. You know, Paul tells us that the sword of the spirit is, is the word of God. The um, Hebrews 4.12, it tells us that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. So it, the imagery is not foreign and it's not very difficult to try to interpret. But why would Jesus introduce himself to this church? Is he gonna, you know, start chopping heads? What, what, what is this sword for? Again, we're gonna go to Matthew chapter ten. I told you, I'm, I'm in this morning devotions going through, uh, my personal devotions going through the book of Matthew. And verses 34 through 38, we just finished reading just a little bit earlier about the do not fears, uh, that therefore, the three do not fears and the therefore, is followed by this sword. (laughs) It's powerful how, you know, these churches flows and how Jesus's messages kind of follow the same theme, that same sequence. Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 34, we read the following. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but guess what? A sword. For I came to set a man against his father and his daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's enemies, and a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me not worthy of me and he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me he who has found his life will lose it and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it you know now pergamum is uh not realizing that it's not simply hey we need to be liked let's let's not be so strict um what about the nicolaitans right what's so bad about that and balaam come on you know let's let's relax a bit um jesus is saying no you cannot relax on this and the imagery of the two-edged sword is not jesus wanting to kill or slaughter like i said earlier this two-edged sword does cut The cut does does hurt, but not the way we think. You know, we we think about vengeance. We think about, you know, I'm going to harm you. I'm going to hurt you because you hurt me. Um, The the reason this sword cuts is a very different reason. And we'll just get to that in just a minute. Um, some words that some, some advice, some spiritual admonition that we can gather from this church and from the, the words that Jesus just spoke here. Uh, the majority of spiritual compromises are initiated by those closest to us. Jesus said it a said man's enemies will be the members of his own household. You know, it's difficult when family members of the same denomination, of the same church, when a brother or a sister begins to watch things on Sabbath that the rest of the family is wondering what's going on. It is a very challenging thing when one of the members of the Sabbath begins to take classes, secular classes, works on secular homework on Sabbath. It is something when a member of of our family uh, that is a Seventh-day Adventist, begins to work on Sabbath in, in work that is certainly not biblically within the biblical, biblical principles, right? Or other things. I'm just using one example of Sabbath observance, right? Oh, what's wrong with watching this kind of a program? Oh, what's wrong with watching this? Or You know, come on, stop being so, so straight-laced. You know, we have to be careful with boundaries, We don't certainly want to go into the realm of legalism, but boundaries are boundaries. And there are certain boundaries that need to be clear and defined. And though at times we may not think it makes a lot of sense, there are some boundaries that may not make sense on this life. But to have kept them, to have stayed within those bounds in heaven... We will be glad and grateful and thankful for the conviction that we ought not cross certain boundaries. The Sabbath provides, I think, a tangible boundary of time from sundown to sundown. It is not that after sundown that I'm, you know, scot-free to do whatever I want. There are other boundaries that, that are always around us to protect us. And Jesus uses this imagery of the sword not to say, hey, you crossed the boundary. I'm going to chop off your head. I'm going to chop off your leg. This is not the purpose of this sword. Jesus uses um, this strong language. But if you pay close attention, at the heart of it is love. He who loves father or mother more than me. You know, when God gave the Ten Commandments and God says, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself any graven images. It's love, you know, it, at the end. In, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, um, when, you know, you have a God saying, you know, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. He's saying you will love me more than anything else. Why? Because I, I, only I can satisfy you. You, you will be disappointed. It's not that I don't want you to love your parents more than me. It's that, number one, you won't be able to. And number two, your parents can love you like I can. Your parents get tired of you. Your parents sometimes will need a break from you, right? That's when they send you to your grandparents. Sometimes parents exhibit tremendous dysfunctions. We, we have parents. We are parents that are broken inside. Sin has damaged us. So Jesus is saying, you cannot love something that is broken more than something that is whole, that is complete, that is holy, that is righteous, that is pure. You know, yes, honor your mom and dad. Love them for sure. You should. But if you're going to love someone with all your heart, with all your soul, if you're going to put all your loyalty in someone, put that on me because I will never disappoint you. I will never treat you in a dysfunctional way. I will never hurt you. There are parents that hurt their kids. Some unintentionally, some intentionally. There are children that hurt their parents. I mean, when you look at secular news, right? There are parents that murder their kids. There are kids that murder their parents. So Jesus is putting reality before us, and it's about love. You will eventually always have a cup empty if you're constantly seeking to have that cup of love to be filled by another human being that is dry, just as dry as you. In the Old Testament prophets, it used broken cisterns, cisterns that no matter how much water you pour into it, there are holes underneath that cistern that the water will seep out and you will have just wasted time, effort, and resources. And this is, Jesus is not describing your co-workers. Jesus is saying your own family. Spiritual compromises. You cannot love your parents more than God when it comes to principles from the Bible. And your parents may do their homework on Sabbath. Your parents may do a little shopping here and there on Sabbath. Your parents may choose to work or be at work or answer work emails and not honor these boundaries. But that will not exempt you from doing it too. You can't say, well, if my parents do it, it must be okay. You are called to love God more, to love Jesus more. If you do that, you protect, you insulate yourself against the pressures from families that sometimes family members will place upon other family members to compromise. Look look at the, the book of Kings, right? It is a slippery slope, a slide that the, the genealogies sounds like and they did more evil in the sight of the Lord than their parents did. And they did more evil in the sight of the Lord than their parents. And that's how the the ladder of immorality goes down. Because they didn't love God more. They love their parents. They love the outcome of earthly pursuits. You know, hey, my dad's a workaholic. And look at the house that we live in. I'm going to do this. I'm going to put work before God. I'm going to follow daddy's example Work, money comes first. Money is the most important thing. Look at the possessions that we have. Man, I'm not having anything less than this. If anything, because of all these opportunities, you know, these blessings, I'm actually want to have a bigger house, more things than my parents. Jesus is warning us that when we allow these pressures from family to affect our commitment our loyal, loving commitment with Jesus, we will harm ourselves. We are intentionally poking holes at the bottom of our cup of love so that everything that we receive goes out. And it's a life of emptiness. It's a life of disappointment. And I'm not saying, you know, marriage is one continual disappointment or having children is one continual disappointment, but I've had to apologize to my daughters I've had to apologize to Gianna because I'm not a perfect person. But I have, and I pray for wisdom to know how to point her to Jesus because I know Jesus will never disappoint my little girl. I want her to taste his love. His love will satisfy her more than the love of me and my wife combined. We are broken human beings, saved by the grace of God, daily being worked upon, daily being polished. But Jesus' love is perfect right now. And this is the sword. This is the sword. right? We talk about uh, the betraying and, and pressures. right? We talked about on, on, with the previous church that there's pressures and fears. And, and I thought about Peter and Pilate. Peter did what he did out of fear fear of persecution fear of consequences Pilate, he did what he did out of fear of what is what he's being accused of you know you're an enemy of caesar i want what people think and then i don't want caesar to think so there's this pressure you know of of, uh, of a like a uh, camouflaged about him slander they both reacted about those fears that jesus spoke about and peter did what he did out of fear and he denied jesus He denies Jesus because of pressure. You know, when Jesus restores Peter, we all know that he asked Peter three times, do you love me? Because Peter three times said, I do not know the man. And Jesus is not asking this to cut Peter to hurt him. He's cutting Peter with revelations of, I have never stopped loving you. I have never stopped loving you. You know, it is significant that Jesus asked Peter three times, Do you love me? But never does Jesus ask Peter, Do you still believe I love you? Peter knew the answer. He knew the answer the night that he denied Jesus. In the Gospel of Luke, we are told that Jesus turned to Peter. Jesus intentionally sought for the face of Peter. And the face that Peter saw in Jesus was a face full of pity and compassion and forgiveness and acceptance. And that's what cut Peter. That's the sword. The sword that reveals to me, I don't love him. I don't love him more than There are people that I will always put before the Lord. My girlfriend, my boyfriend, my husband, my wife, my mom, my dad, anyone, any human, any relationship. I will put that person before God. When Jesus reveals that to us, that cuts us because it comes accompanied with the revelation that he loves you. He loves you like no one on planet Earth will ever ever be able to love you and with that comes the painful realization i don't love him that is the two-edged sword jesus didn't have to answer ask peter that question because peter already knew jesus had never stopped loving him even the night when jesus's ears heard peter's denial painful denial of him peter saw this word of god the living word of god sharper than any twitch sword with his love cut him deep and the pain was not inflicted by god's wrath the pain came to the first for the first time in his life realizing how fake his pretenses of loving jesus really were that painful but it is a pain that allows us to be redeemed it is a pain that allows us to lead that leads us to repentance it is the love the goodness the compassion of god that leads us to repentance that's what romans chapter 2 says it is crucial for us to go through this process in order to be converted and this church pergamum is going away from god they're putting other things before the Lord. They are loving, I mean that's I guess something that is, is intriguing. I heard this recently in a sermon that when Jesus speaks of this, he speaks about putting other human beings before God. We love other human beings more than God. Society today is, is an interesting is in an interesting phase, right? We are in love with things more than people. We love gadgets, we love vehicles, we love, you know, non-living things more than the living things in our lives. Um, And of course, the pastor that was mentioning this was speaking about some of the technological gadgets that we spend hours and hours on in comparison to the amount of time we spend with our own kids or spouses and other human beings. And if that is the case with humans, what is it like with God? In either case, it's love. I I love an idol, and I, I love that idol more. And if you compare Scripture with Scripture, Jesus says that you cannot love one master, two masters. You will either love the one or hate the other. You cannot love idols more than, than God, love God a little less. It's, it's, you don't love God. And that realization is painful. And that realization does come in a very tangible way through our engaging the Scriptures. It cuts us. But it cuts us not in violence. It cuts us not seeking to destroy or to needlessly wound. It cuts us as it reveals to us a faithful, committed God who wants to walk with us and reveals me as a human being prone to wonder, prone to leave the God I love. So, the book of Revelation... These revelations of Jesus compel us to not just sing it, but pray how that stanza ends. Here's my heart, Lord. Take it. Seal it. Insulate it from the fears that caused me to deny you. Insulate my mind with deep abiding convictions of your love for me, that it will awaken love in me for you. Love awakens love. And perfect love casts out fear. These are just a few of the imageries and the lessons we can glean from the book of Revelation as we look at how Jesus reveals himself to these churches, a church that is gradually compromises, needs to expose their lives to the scriptures. If you're finding, if you are recognizing that you are following more your daughters, your, you, oh, let's leave her alone, or your son, oh, don't say anything, or your parents, ah, you know, if, if a family member is leading you to violate your own conscience, your greatest need right now is to open the Bible. That's the word of God. That's the living word that is sharper than any two-edged sword. It will reveal to you what areas you may be compromising in, but it will not just reveal to you that Jesus is not the two-edged sword that simply cuts for the sake of cutting. He cuts out the cancer. He cuts out the tumor. He cuts out that which will bring to you spiritual death. What a savior that we have. What a loving Savior that is committed to not allowing any of his churches to perish. He wants to save you. He wants to save me. His greatest desire is for us to, on a continual basis, expose our minds to this double-edged sword so that should there be a love for other things more than for him, we will be able to identify it, repent from it, and through his grace turn And fall more and more in love with this God that is so worthy of being loved with all our hearts, with all our soul, with all our strength. This is Pastor Ariel, and I hope you were blessed with today's episode of Devotional. It is my prayer this resource will inspire you to spend personal time studying God's Word, including using the study tool of our Sabbath School Quarterly. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to this podcast. This way, you will be notified each time a new episode is published. And don't forget to scroll down on the show's description and click on the links for all the free resources to get the best experience out of this podcast. Also, please remember to share with your friends through social media, be it Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or the one you use regularly. This way, they can also be blessed with this resource. Lastly, please consider becoming a financial supporter of this podcast. It would be much appreciated. This is Pastor Ariel inviting you to study the Bible with me again on our next episode of Devotional.